Welcome to Courage in Action. We are a sisterhood of women empowering women to be everything we are meant to be. I'm your host, Naluka Kotagata, and it is my privilege to join your life journey as we connect with some extraordinary, triumphant, and beautifully imperfect women through this podcast. Together, we hope to inspire you to take action towards your life goals, one courageous step at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Courage in Action. Today, I'm joined by author, speaker, and certified coach, Claire Kumar. With a background in biology and business, Claire is uniquely positioned to inspire us to respect humanity and boost performance through marrying productivity and pleasure. I'm really excited to learn more about Claire's unique way of encouraging us to have fun and relax while doing everything we need to do in a day. So let's get right into it. Welcome, Claire. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, you identify yourself as a highly sensitive person. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what that means? Yeah, for sure. It's actually a trait that applies to almost 20% of the population. And the trait means it's not a disorder. This is actually a normal way of being, but it means we have to have some considerations in the way we live. And I'll tell you why. There are four elements that go into being highly sensitive. And this is the work by Dr. Elaine Aaron in the early 90s, who discovered herself she was highly sensitive and did a lot of research on it. So number one is we are deep thinkers. We process information. We like to think. We might be accused of overthinking from time to time. We are overstimulated by our environment. So uh, by heat, humidity, noise, light, all oh. kinds of things, motion, all of these, anything that you think might affect your nervous system mm -hmm. could be much more deeply felt. We deeply think, we deeply feel. And so that overstimulation means we can become pretty exhausted pretty quickly. Okay. And then we have high empathy, this ability to feel we actually have more mirror neurons than the average person. And so we're able to really work with people. And that's why I think I, I naturally sort of evolved to be a coach. When you're working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, you're really tuning into how they're feeling, what they're expressing, where are we going to go? And that ability um, for, and uh, this high empathy that we have can be a real asset. It can also make some of what we're going through when it's difficult or we're watching other people suffer really, really hard. Yeah. And then S, so it's D-O-E-S, um, and the S is for uh, sensitivity to subtle stimuli. So we've got the depth of processing, overstimulation, empathy, and then sensitivity. And you put all that together, and we are generally high achievers. We, we exceed um, our ratings and, and really perform well in performance reviews, mm -hmm. but we are the first people to burn out. Oh, wow. It sounds more like, you know, this deep thinking, deep feeling, empathy and sensitive, like, sounds more like a superpower than a than a trait or yeah that's exactly what i what i call it but what's, uh -huh. what's interesting is if we're able to have a little bit of control or influence around our environments we can bring down some of the tax that we experience going through the day and then we can keep giving if we're really depleted, I mean, I went to the collision conference, the high tech conference that was in Toronto a couple of years ago. I walked into that place. I lasted 30 minutes and I actually blew through the security doors to get out of there because it was 
so loud. And then the fire alarms went yeah. off and it was, it was, I don't know if you've ever attended, but it was, yeah. Perfect. I attended conferences like that. My mind immediately went to, oh, the days of big conferences and the mm -hmm. loud music and the lights. And it's supposed to be this super energetic. So, I, you know, I, I could even see how that would be too much for someone. Well, and that that's kind of it. We're like, I, I use the animal analogy of the meerkat because they're oh. kind of cute. <laughs> and you can imagine one standing on its hind legs, kind of looking and smelling and listening, right? To that's keep everybody else safe. They are so hypersensitive. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. those meerkats that are on duty, they will have had a nap. They will have had something to eat. Then they'll be on duty and then they take a break. So if you think of the highly sensitive person, that's your meerkat. We're like on duty. We can't, we have to take breaks. And oh, if they, we're not able to in our workday, for example, then we can end up being really depleted. Then we can be maybe impatient. We could be hangry. We could be all <laughs> kinds of things that then make it hard to be at our best. So you mentioned that, you know, in a work setting and many, many times, and those of us who are in the corporate world totally understand you don't really get a break during the day. How do you, how do you manage that? Or how do you maneuver that kind of environment? Well, I'm really at the point where now I'm advocating for, especially as we're looking at a hybrid return to work and we've all been able to, anybody who's been working from home has had the potential to nap down the hall, right? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe even in the same room, right? So yeah. we've had this opportunity to get in touch with what rest does. And it's interesting. I just, um, I have a group productivity coaching program and I just wrote the last module a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I look at the different tasks that we choose to do. We, we create information, we consume, material, we collaborate, and all of those to-do functions are in the workplace. But what's missing is we need to condition ourselves. And so we need to keep moving. We need movement in our day. You can't, you mm. think of a hamster in a cage. It doesn't sit in one place or it doesn't stay on the treadmill the whole time. We navigate through these different things, right? So conditioning is movement, healthy movement. It's also a rest. It's like my cats, right? I have two cats. They are regularly napping. They have a schedule. Cats sleep 90% of the day. I'm like, how are you still sleeping? I don't understand. It's true, right? And the interesting thing is we need to sleep more than we do. There's an epidemic of sleep deprivation out there and there's an epidemic of chronic disease. And those are not unrelated because sleep is healing time. So if we can make sure we get enough sleep, great. If we can't, we need the privilege and we need our work environments to honor the fact we need to be able to catch rest in our day. So whether it's sleep pods like Google had, it's Ariana Huffington has a nap room. Telus yeah. downtown has a wellness room you cannot take technology into. Mm -hmm. So incorporating and inviting people without stigma to take a break to condition themselves has to be part of the workday. And it's really, we've obliterated it. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the sort of benefits of, of working from home during the, the pandemic. Sometimes it's, it's overwhelming to have it in your home all the time, but it also allows, I think, a bit better in terms of, of work-life balance and potentially has changed a lot of people's minds in terms of what it means to work from home. I think so. I mean, you got some time back from commuting. Now, commuting gave you a great transition yeah. between work 
and home. So there was a natural boundary. So we've had a challenge with blurred boundaries, but we've had this opportunity to say, how do I want to use that time? And most people have taken some kind of physical wellness activity for themselves. They may have put time back into relationship and a certain amount has gone back into work because we know the workday extended too. So it's really interesting to look at and to then put people in what I call the CFO position in their life. Hmm. I want people to be the chief fulfillment officers in their life. Oh, chief fulfillment officer. I like that. I like that. Like you can't hire that out, right? Because what makes you happy doesn't make the next person happy. It's uniquely yours and how you sort of fill your energy, your cup overflow with all of these analogies that we use is, is, are unique to an individual. Yeah. Um, And on that sort of self-care line, and we were talking about sleep, like, how do you know if how much sleep is good for everybody's like six hours, seven hours, eight hours, like how do you go for yourself? I take issue with National Sleep Foundations. You need (laughs) seven to nine hours, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. But which is it? Is it seven? Or is it nine? Because if I need nine, right? If I need (laughs) nine and I'm only ever getting seven, I am horribly sleep deprived. And but I think I've got enough. So I really want them. I just put it in a tweet actually yesterday out to Marcus Buckingham is a fantastic coach. His girlfriend or partner actually just got into a car accident where she fell asleep at the wheel. This is yesterday. And on his on his Instagram page, you can see the car and then you can see pictures of Michelle in the hospital afterwards. And um, there's, you know, wonderful messages, you know, rest well, recover. Yes, all of that. But I said, please look into why she fell asleep at the wheel. Right. Please look into why. Yeah, what because, is the why? Yeah. Yeah. So so we don't I think number one, equate it to healing time. This is when your body is restoring. It's actually cleansing toxins. If you ever have a nap, you wake up and you can think clearly afterwards. Right. Where if you're tired and reading the same paragraph again and again and just wondering why you're not, you know, it's not going in, you need to give yourself a nap. But the way I say to do it is I encourage people to find their sleep number. So hashtag sleep number, you'll find a bunch of tweets and stuff out in social media on that. It's not the mattress I'm talking about with the firmness they call sleep number, but I'm actually talking about the amount of sleep you need within a 24 hour period to feel rested. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the way to, to test it out, I say, I suggest starting with an eight hour block of time and saying, if you need to be up at six in the morning, set your bedtime for 10 o'clock. Okay. Allow yourself maybe half an hour to fall asleep. You've got seven and a half hours then, which is seven times 90 minutes or five times 90 minutes is seven and a half and 90 minutes is your average sleep cycle. So we need about five cycles. Yeah, we need five. If you're waking up with an alarm, your alarm is reaching in, slapping your brain and saying, come on, get up. And it's pulling it out of some of the restorative natural cycles that it needs to go to wake and not feel groggy and feeling like you're yanked out. You can actually wake and go, oh, I feel, I feel good. I feel like ready to get up. I feel like I've drunk enough sleep, right? Drunk enough sleep. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so do that, you know, try on a weekend, perhaps when you, when you yeah, have a bit more time. have that jarring alarm waking you up. At, exactly. Yeah. Well, or go to bed. And if the alarm wakes you, then you set your bedtime 15 minutes earlier and 15 minutes earlier until you wake before that alarm. 
Now, if you have to go, if you have to go past nine hours, then you need to talk to your doctor because maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something else there. Because if you sleep too much, you can actually become more lethargic and unhealthy. So, so seven to nine is your optimum, but I want you to find your sleep number. The exact number. Yeah. I did an experiment several years ago. My, my ex was laid off in the Mm -hmm. winter and I thought, ah, you're not working and it's winter. That means I can go away. So, so I took four weeks and I went down to Panama and in that time where it was just me, I was finishing my coach training. So I was in school uh, like 25 hours a week, but I did all these tests to learn about how I am as a human animal. This is my biology brain kind of kicking into gear. And I looked at how much I ate, how much I exercised, what I felt like I wanted in terms of social interaction, because I knew nobody when I went down there. And I tested my sleep. And that's how I uncovered my sleep number. I said, okay, I'm going to go to bed at 11 every night. And I found myself naturally waking up at 630 every morning. And I went, oh, Okay, there so it is. <laughs> 7.5, there it is, and it makes sense. Then I came back to Canada and it was minus 45 and, and I was wondering why I was here. Oh, and, uh, and I hung on to that clock and it, it, it lasted. And I went, okay, now I know. Now you know? know. And yeah. it might change over time. So it might be something to reevaluate. As we age, we tend to need a little bit less sleep again. But it's something, once you know, then you can architect your world, right? So for example, now if my neighbors put fireworks on at 2.30 in the morning and I'm disturbed, I can know maybe my seven and a half hours quantity was not quality and I'll need a power nap in the day. Now for power napping, you wanna do 20 minutes and set an alarm. So you pull yourself out of this uh, sleep before you get groggy and you go into REM sleep again. Right. Or you say, you know what? I really deserve a good sleep and I really missed a lot. I'm going to give myself a sleep cycle and you give yourself a 90 minutes and then you'll probably wake up after that sleep cycle and you'll feel incredible. Wow. So it's, it's all about timing and understanding that timing for your own body. Cause if you're a lot of people talking about naps and I'm like, you have to power nap or it's going to be too long, but it, a full 90 minutes could have the same or better, but you yeah, and it, yeah, and you sort of right. want to be informed by the kind of night that you had. So anybody with a newborn who's up a couple oh. of times, you probably need another full cycle at some point. Yeah. But if yeah. you are, you know, maybe you've been disturbed once that power nap will probably do you fine. And yeah. you'll find you're so restored, your thinking and your willpower to stick to good decisions, your decision-making, your interactions with others, all of those things are going to be richer. But this is the kind of self-care I talk about, uh, especially for highly sensitive people, because not only do we have to manage our sleep, but we have to manage something as exhausting as a subway commute downtown, where, you know, it's sometimes air conditioned or heated adequately, or maybe it's crowded and maybe you don't get to sit down and maybe the motion was horrible or maybe somebody had BO beside you and you felt nauseous the entire way. Who knows what you went through just before you got to your desk. That's right. That's right. So much happened to you before. And so as your, as your own CFO and chief fulfillment officer, sleep is the number one thing and, and sort of in that self care realm and, and making sure that we can fulfill ourselves. What are some other things that, you know, people who we can no longer travel or hopefully soon we'll see in, in the chaos of everyday life. How do yeah. you, how, what else can we do? 
Well, I actually put sleep as number two. It's oh, right okay. up there, but my number one is mindset. And because I think that if you can hold on to an optimistic, positive, realistic, but grounded mindset, mm -hmm. and if you check in with that every day and you find yourself, you can catch yourself before you spiral. Okay. So I think that's most important because if you catch yourself feeling negative, there are a lot of things you can do early in that to to help yourself come back to your grounded centered way of thinking so if you feel like you woke up on the wrong side of the bed you do want to do that check-in and, and come back to a vision of how do you want to think about your life what are some positive message messages you can draw on do you know for example that oh when you feel in a funk like okay so i have seasonal affective disorder too this is oh, okay this is really yeah tough in the winter january gray days in january are super tough and i usually travel this year i couldn't mm. and so i've come up with the music strategy i put on blamages living on the ceiling and <laughs> i put that on and you cannot be in a bad mood listening to some songs wow so yeah so there are so i always say check in with mindset first and do whatever you can to pull you back towards a mindset you're more comfortable with. It doesn't mean gloss over your emotions or not be in touch with them, but it means to be really observant about when things are spiraling because they can be spiraling up or spiraling down and you want to be catching that before you spiral down. Oh, see, every, I think a lot of people will be watching out for that spiral down and we all understand that. Can yeah. you expand a bit on what you mean the spiral up? Yeah. So imagine you figured out your sleep number, you know to check in with your mindset. All yes. of a sudden you are a power being that is equipped to make really solid decisions now. So you can make really great decisions about the amount um, that you want to move in the day. I think we don't have a daily prescription. We have this well exercise three times a week for 30 minutes. I'm like, you know what? Baloney. <laughs> baloney we were not sedentary we were not meant to sit all the time yes at least 30 minutes of movement and hopefully some exertion where you've actually made your heart remember it needs it has a big job to do right, right? yeah so at yeah. least 30 minutes a day of movement and it can be in 10 minutes you know every so often it can be small integrated ways in your day but at least 30 minutes of movement every day oh so it can be broken up into smaller pieces yeah. Yeah, so, but yeah, real we're conscious so movement. Into like, I got to find this 30 to 45 minute block of time in a day to do, you know, workouts and all of these things. Yeah. I mean, I know the Fitbit really inspired people to do the 10,000 steps. And I know yeah. people are like walking around their living rooms and climbing up and downstairs <laughs> just to get them in. And yeah. it's quite fabulous because 10,000 steps is about an hour and 15 minutes of walking. That's pretty so good, right? It's, it's pretty good. So yeah. set yourself something you enjoy doing yeah. and make sure you incorporate it. Definitely move, uh, add movement into your day so you'll find though that you start to long for it and that's why your body's kind of saying i got i gotta move now i gotta stand up at my desk or i gotta put some music on and move or even when i'm gonna clean my closet doors which are mirrors i'm gonna do some squats in there and i'm gonna do i'm gonna really <laughs> embrace this activity that i have to do yeah but i'm gonna love my body in the process do i sound crazy not <laughs> at all you said i'm picturing it taking to another level of crazy i'm like throw on some music dance around yeah. doing all the things that 
look like a lunatic. Who cares? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, and, <laughs> and, and I think this is all about why it's productivity plus pleasure. Pleasure together is yeah. your optimum performance. The more we can weave joy in what we're doing, the more yeah. excited we are about everything down to laundry. Like, we yeah. have to integrate lives beautifully. And if we want to be better at work, we want happiness in our home lives, happiness with our community, and, yeah. then, and then we can continue to give at work. If we have real disharmony anywhere, it's kind of going to show up unless we're really hard at compartmentalizing, but even then it's going to show up. Yeah. And so, I mean, all of this, like having fun and self-care, it's, yeah. it's awesome. And I love that, you know, you're, you're talking about how you can break it out and how it can be an individual thing. Yeah. Given the pandemic and everything that's going on, we are overstimulated by screens. I empathize incredibly with parents who have kids at home and all of these things going on. And yep. life is exceptionally busy. And there are so many expectations of you. How, are, how can we navigate that as highly sensitive? Uh, well, I think this applies to everybody, really. Um, one of the things I, I, I built a course in the, the first month after COVID showed up, I built a course on how to work from home better. And one of the things I talk about in that is honoring capacity. And so mm -hmm. this is it comes back to self-awareness again. And also being aware of our family, and I call it your home team, hashtag home team. You have oh, a work team, <laughs> but you got a home team. Home and you, team, yeah. Yeah, and you got to work together to accomplish things as a family. Like when when I had my kids younger uh, and we had dinner to, to make, I would be on one side of the kitchen counter. They would be on the other side with a chopping board each, and they would be each <laughs> given a task to do. And it was like, we're team doing this dinner. Yeah. And they would learn, and, and I would feel better involving them. It would be a slower process, granted, yeah. but it was a, you know, a, um, a long, just long-term pain, I guess, a long-term, like a slow pain for a long-term gain. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so looking at it that way, um, I think is really, I, I think it's really important to look at the capacity of everybody in your household. And sometimes, you know what, mom or dad needs some help from the kids. That's and right. Right. We can we can really look at each other and have really honest conversations, you know, with our kids. I, I talked about having a family home meeting once mm -hmm. a week to understand, you know, who's got a presentation where they need all the bandwidth and the broadcast studio in the house. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And does it conflict with anything else? Can we have a planning meeting around the resources that we have? And can we also do a wellness check in to say, how are you feeling? What's your energy? Like, where are you? Um, so we're catch helping support each other in terms yeah. of that mindset as well. Yeah. So the home team concept, I think, is is really important while we're still navigating this um, this work change to work and how we're still having schooling at home and and all this hybrid stuff. And I think honestly, and probably rightfully so, we should always be having some element of people choosing to work from home and choosing to be in the office and having a lot more autonomy in that conversation. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of corporations have sort of transitioned to understanding that now. Those that may not some, have some some yes some some, some kind of get it. <laughs> Apple this week talked about oh, yeah, mandating three days a week where it's going to be these three days and you're going to be in the office. I'm like that ain't autonomy. That's not going to work. That's, yeah, that's going to well they they yeah the employees have been speaking back and saying you know 
That's yeah, that's not going to happen because everyone's so different. I mean, we were talking about families and how parents could potentially navigate on the other side of that spectrum is that people, a lot of people live alone. A lot of people live at home by themselves and loneliness has been a real thing. Uh, during Do you know the stats on that pre-pandemic? Guess the percentage of people that were talking about feeling lonely. Uh, 50. I don't know. 61. 61. Oh, wow. Pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. Then you throw the solo people living alone into the pandemic, like off the charts. Yeah, that yeah. number blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Was, I didn't realize it was that high before. Yeah. So for people who are on their own um, yeah. and looking for, you know, self-care and, and that connection, like that's what's been hard during the pandemic is mm-hmm actual connection with other humans. Um, how would you advise people to navigate on the other side of the, of the coin, let's say? Yeah, well, it's actually, so I have something called productivity table stakes and we were talking through them. There was mindset, sleep, yes. and movement and fuel. Actually, connection is one of them. Okay. And just like we need 30 minutes of movement every day, I think we have a minimum dose of quality connection with another human or being, but Mm. probably human, some quality interaction with someone who gets us every day. We need that, whether we're introverted or extroverted. And the amount and intensity of that interaction might be different in terms of what your preference is. But I mean, I live alone um, for the most part and um, normally fine with it because but that's when I could go out and meet friends yes. or mingle, right? All yeah. of a sudden I'm living alone. And I actually had a meltdown two weeks after, like May, May 25th or something like that. I had a complete meltdown. I'm separated from my ex and, and he's got all the pets, the dog and two cats. Oh no. Yeah. And and my kids are, are there. And so I went back to the house and I said, can I have one of them? Can I have my dog? My dog, right? My dog. Can I have my no. dog? No, you can't have your dog. Can what? I have one of the two cats? Like the one who doesn't care, like you can blow raspberries in his belly. He cares about nothing. He'll be, no, because the other cat will be lonely without that cat. So you can't have that cat. Oh my God. So I I just under the wire uh, was able to adopt two cats before things really shut down. And they, check out my Instagram feed, Claire Kumar (laughs) Instagram. If you want to see some cute cats, the golden boys, they pose everywhere. They're in all my TV segments pretty much. They are like... They have honestly saved me because I come home and I'm like, hello, boys, I'm home. And they come running. And I think we need to be seen. We need to feel like we matter. So I have that between the cats, but it's more than that. I need human connection as well. And when I talk to people um, that are lonely, it's interesting. There's a great book called Loneliness. And in he talks about the fact that if you're lonely, you start to be predisposed to do things to push people away. Oh, very interesting. Very unfortunate too, right? Because you're like, well, and then you just become kind of crotchety and a little bit nasty. And it's like, you need to actually go, okay, I'm going to schedule. This is where the planning brain comes in. You mm-hmm. want to schedule, pre-schedule before you get to that. Oh my gosh, it's a weekend and I have nothing planned. What am I going to do? Right. And I realized this after I separated, because when, when you've got a family with kids, you've always got something. Something there. to do. Yeah. When something's pulling you forward, there's somebody who needs something. You're good. Yeah. But I realized, oh my gosh, I can have these large swaths of time where people would just go on without me. So if you're feeling that you've got to reach out 
and initiate things. Like I've initiated a, a dinner this week um, with friends outside. Yeah. So yeah. that will, because they're going to go to PEI for the summer. And I'm like, okay, I need to see Aww. you before you go. Yeah. 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 So it's, but it's making an effort. If I hadn't reached out, it yes. wouldn't happen. Yeah. And so even, it can be, sometimes you feel like I just want someone to invite me, but don't <laughs> stay there. Don't stay there. Just, just go for it. And the other thing to do to pick yourself up if you're feeling particularly low and you need company is go volunteer somewhere, go volunteer mm. and give, right? There was one day I was in a, a really particular funk feeling low and by myself. And I went out into the park and I was going to have a stormy walk for two hours and think I would feel better. Yes. I went out in the park and there was a park cleanup initiative going on, which I just happened to stumble into How and fun. I donned some gloves and I started picking up garbage and I met other people picking up garbage and I felt immediately better, yeah. somewhat useful and it completely changed my mood. I think it was so. useful outside movement, but it, there's also that somehow sense of community or there sense was. of being part of something bigger that yeah. is a huge piece, I think, of that loneliness feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I was meeting people. We had a common goal. We had, there was something to talk about. It was, it was immediately moon shifting. I couldn't stay in woe is me mode at all. I was like instantly different focus. That's awesome. And so you've been in both like the corporate space, you've been in the mm -hmm. entrepreneurial space. And I think even for entrepreneurs or people who are stepping outside of, you know, what we'll call the norm, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, uh, additional, I'll say, blocks that happen. You'll hear no a lot. You'll hear judgments. You'll hear all of these things. How did you navigate all of that? Like your path sort of out of corporate and into your own coaching business and what seems yeah. to be your best life. So, <laughs> Oh, you know what? And it's been an evolution, I will say, because right now I can honestly say I'm not doing anything I don't want to do which is, oh, that's amazing. right? I mean, yeah. and I might have reframed my relationship to bookkeeping. So that's maybe part <laughs> of it, which so give me that. But, but, and that is part of it actually, but I have continually refined what I work on to make sure it's the most meaningful to me. And it's mm -hmm. the impact that I want to have. And it's also an expression of my, my deepest talents. So I'm playing to my strengths, as Marcus Buckingham would say, the things that strengthen you. So yes. I think I'm really finding that now. I mean, I didn't know at all that media would be something that I would continue to do. I think I, I first started in 2009 and I thought I would be in our local newspaper with a little, there's a little local person that organizes people home. That was it. Well, it <laughs> turns out 11, 12 years later, I've been on national television, all the lifestyle shows and magazines. And, and now I work as a spokesperson person with brands, but it's largely because I love it. It's my mm. kind of fun, like live TV, anything could happen. And I love that. There's like an adrenaline to it. Right. Yeah. And so where other people might go, Oh, no way, Jose, am I going to be on camera? And I just, that's not my comfort zone. Well, yeah. I'm never going to go bungee jumping. So to all you bungee <laughs> jumpers, like that's your thing, like, yay, but give me a microphone and a message. And 
I am very, very much at home. In fact, I light up. And so it's been a bit of a discovery to find out, okay, what is it that I like to do? It gets my creative mind going. My sense of cleverness and wit and wordplay gets to come out. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of tuning in. I call it doing a joy inventory in your life. Ooh, joy inventory. Like- yeah, to go back through the work that you've done and look for the smallest moments like what? Okay, so you were happy then. Okay, why? What was it? So I uncovered in my joy inventory that I loved waitressing. I loved waiting on tables. Interesting. And, it, and I smelled awful. I didn't make a lot of money. Like I carried <laughs> sizzle plates over my head and came back like it had a grease shower, right? I was, it yeah. was not pretty. But what I loved in it and what I, when I really took time to think about the moments where I went, oh, I felt great. I could shift people's mood in a short time. Mm. By coming to the table with an energy, I would bring an energy to the table. Hopefully the food would back me up being good, right? But, yeah, yeah. And I would see people's mood shift from the, I need to be out by one, one ten at the latest. I need to be, you know, it's my lunch, right? To relaxing and enjoying the mm. experience. And I would get rewarded with a tip immediately after. So my sense of immediate gratification was completely fulfilled in that. That's right? amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, it was again, improv. I realized it was this live immediate experience where I had cause and effect with other people. And yes. I thought, well, holy moly. And then I looked at, um, what am I, what was I drawn to explore? And then what was I drawn to do without anybody asking me to do it? And I would reflect on the fact that I used to ask my mother, can I please organize your closet, mom? Oh, like <laughs> I would walk in there and there would be clothes and the, but the skirts would be by the tops, would be by the jeans would, and the, all the colors were different. The hangers were different. And, and you were like, I can't take this. I didn't, I didn't. I was like, no, no, I can, I can, I can, I can make it feel better. Right. And so I would ask her to do that. And then I realized later on, I I was in my mother baby group with my second child. And one of the women there had done a how to be an organizer course, Mm -hmm. which was the business of how to be an organizer, really. And she just said, you know, Claire, I just did this course. It's not me, but I think it's you. Because <laughs> she like, would see how I would, I would come to the, you know, I'd have my diaper bag, you know, just so I would have extra outfits, which worked all but one time. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I had that planning mindset, right? Yeah. And, and she was right. I, when I looked into it and I looked at what I'm good at, you know, this Ikigai is really important now. This this is its book around the intersection of what you're good at, what you love to do, what the world needs, and what the world will pay you for. Mm. <laughs> so you got to yeah. get this sweet spot, right? Yes. And so I found a bit of a sweet spot there. And then it grew from there. I had an organizing product I had uh, for sale all across uh, North America, which was really fun, but took a lot of time. Uh, And then organizing productivity, consulting and coaching as well. And I've gravitated now to really, I just focus on the productivity, coaching and speaking, um, getting messages out around productivity and well-being and how the two are so closely intertwined. And then my big passion project, helping the world understand more about neurodiversity and especially this highly sensitive population of 20% that are 
not really looked after. We could have a whole, a more tender world. And I know um, there are some businesses that really get it. Um, Sobeys is one of them with their sensory friendly hours. I applaud that. And some of the movie theaters did that kind of, you know, baby friendly, but heck that's when I would go because we, we, we need a more tender hospitable world overall. Yeah. I, and I mean, I think that came out loud and clear, like during the pandemic, a lot of a lot of conversations about a lot of topics and a lot of issues that we were potentially maybe afraid or timid about talking about before have really come to the forefront. And at least we're having yeah. conversation about it and that that empathy that's required across, you know, all spectrums of all beings um, yep. has really come to, I think, the top of people's minds and a, a better understanding. We're not there, not by a long shot. Yeah but the work has started. I think the conversation is on the table for sure. I mean, I've been giving workshops for the past year for an association and I just had to ask for another quote to give them for one of our universities um, on leadership skills for a new reality okay. and empathy and compassion, awareness and vulnerability, courageous, you know, a coaching mindset, all of those things are our key to leading a team forward as we figure out what this looks like. And the one question I include in that workshop as the, if you're gonna take anything away from this course, dear leader, <laughs> go with the question um, to your team, what do you need to succeed as an individual? What do you need to, to succeed at your job? What will make you absolutely shine? What is it? Mm. And it's that nuance. We need to not think of everybody needs to get the same slice of pie it's, 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 that's, that's what we were taught as kids, right? It's not fair if Joey gets more than Marsha. That's but, right. Right. But Joey but, happy with less than Marsha and Marsha may need more. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so it's like, what does each person need to succeed? And we need to dis detangle our relationship or decouple our relationship with what we thought was fair. Yeah. And, and we need to be less triggered ego-based people in that conversation to be not like, well, because well, it's our natural tendency, I think, as we probably used to have to fight for food. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, yeah, right? survival. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we need to say, wait a second. And that's where equity comes in. And so there's a big um, push to really understand what does that look like? And as we look at this hybrid model and we look at autonomy for invisible illness, uh, neurodiversity, anybody with caregiving, elder care or kids. Yeah. Like life, life happened still with COVID and the, 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 the compassion that COVID has in, invited into our lives. I'm hoping we can hold on to that and just amplify it and make it a way of being uh, as leaders going forward so that we can invite, it's not only the best from the most, but it's the most from the best. And what's been happening is the best may have been leaving because the conditions were too tough. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it sort of boils down to, you know, like little things in life can trigger so much and make such a difference. Um, I love that you said that because one of my, in my bio and intro, I, I usually end with pay attention to little big things. Little big it, things, yes. Exactly. Yes, they're little exactly. tiny things, but they make all the, they could make all the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, you know, that circles back to what you were saying about, you know, mindset to, to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, I was just having a conversation actually at work today and I just asked the question like, oh, hey, how are you? And 
And the person responded with, you know, that they were doing well because they're trying to practice using positive words. And in the beginning, we thought he was kind of joking about it. And he's like, no, that that's, you know, energy becomes energy and, and this is, or begets energy. And right. the more we speak positively, the more it's going to actually truly affect our lives. Well, yeah. Watch out for your cynical people at work. Watch mm. out for them. I mean, there was an article and I think it was Harvard Business View rec recently saying, or was it a design art? I forget. I'm sorry. It might have been a work design, but it was saying, you know what? Open concept design didn't necessarily allow you any insulation from some of the toxic energy that might be in a workspace. Right. Right. So how do you protect yourself from that and identify sort of the toxic? Because yeah. sometimes you don't, I, you don't even realize it's happening. I think it's, it's a bit of a tuning in again. And I'm, I'm always, I'm always tune in before you lean in. So there's an opportunity to reflect. If something made you uncomfortable, mm -hmm. sit with it for a minute. Something's like annoying you. What is it about? What is it about that thing that's getting under your skin? Is it right. what somebody said? For me, it was a guy who clipped his nails at his desk constantly. Ew. And oh. he was also a real cynic. <laughs> when it, oh yeah, at work. Oh yeah. Oh, Ew. sorry. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I was like, oh, oh, he's doing it again. Oh, and, um, but he would also be the person I can still picture him. He was always the person. If you got in a conversation with him, he would bring it into a cynical place of just mm. tearing down leadership decisions or what, whatever there was, it, it was a very, there was a heaviness always. So right. I learned I should limit my conversations with that individual. So would talk to him when I needed to, but I didn't go at, I didn't go, Hey, let's have a chat <laughs> because it, <laughs> it was very depleting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That, so you want people to bring you up. Absolutely. And I think that's a trigger is recognizing when an interaction with someone actually drains you versus yeah. builds you or feeds yeah. your soul, as they say. Yeah. And not blowing smoke up, you know, just oh, no. really, really like that, you know, there are people that you get together with and you just, they're your laugh people because yeah. you just play with them. The energy yeah. is just, and you're just laughing at each other. It's like, we, there are people whose energy we really respond to. And I think we can look to making sure those people are in our lives and, and making sure we have enough of that interaction. And there are people at work that do that. And there are people in our community that do that. And I hired somebody that, um, that did that and worked with her for about 14 months in, in my business at one point. And she was like sunshine showing up every day. I mean, and, and I could give her flexibility. I couldn't give her quite as many hours as uh, she wanted ultimately, but I could give her flexibility. And yeah. so, you know, we, we have to, we have to play the cards we're dealt with. And uh, I think look for the best hands we can play with what we've been dealt with and, and look at what that is. And I think the more we're able to do that, the more we can stay positive and in gratitude for what we have and then attract more good, um, mm more, more opportunities that let us shine and, and fit within what, what we're able to take on again, respecting our capacity, which is really, really at the bottom of this, because if we, if we sabotage our capacity, if we, if we don't respect it, then we're, we're not as patient. We're not making as good decisions. We might be rushing, rushing a decision and it, it might be made too hastily. So the quality of the output is at, at, at risk. And so 
we have to be brave. And I know in corporations, almost everyone where I talk to people working in a, in a company now, there's pressure because so much change happened and we still have to get things done, but everything's different in how we do it. Yeah. Everything's a little harder. So, I mean, I, I personally in my business as it's evolved, I had to take a hard look at capacity and say, can I run a product business and a service business and be a spokesperson? No, I needed, I needed somebody, I need still, if anybody's listening and wants to uh, invest in a product company, I'm the design person, but you can run the company. Yes. I mean, I, I just realized there was, it wasn't possible. Yeah. yeah. And I, I love that, that everything's grounded in, I love the word you use, respect for your own capacity. Mm-hmm. Because respecting it means that you're so, you're cognizant of it, you're aware of it. And I also you know, you, ref- you referenced that requires you to be brave and biased towards courage and action. That is truly courage and action. And we talk about it a lot of, a lot, obviously on this podcast and in the organization that courage isn't doing things without fear. And it isn't about doing things because nothing's in your way and you can go off and do whatever. It's about doing it in the face of, and in this case, with respect for your own capacity. Yeah. Yeah. We talk a lot about self-care and sometimes it can appear selfish and, and people are a little bit reluctant to do it. And so I have a joke now because I was talking to someone else who's also in the self-care field. I mean, we're having a conversation and I don't know how it came up, but I said, you know, you, self-care is really important. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> self-care. And, and a, lot of, a lot of my clients will say, you know what? I've got your voice in my head. I remember when you said, I need to pause, a cause for pause. There are, are lots of things that I say are cause for pause where you need to take that minute and tune in, right? Before yeah. you act. And uh, so if it helps to have, to feel like, I, your productivity coach said, definitely take a nap this afternoon. <laughs> you can call it self-care if you don't want to call it self-care. I think that's a takeaway for all of our listeners to remember their self-clear and now we have your voice and we can listen to it at at any time. Um, So I think we've learned a tremendous amount from you today about being our chief fulfillment officers in our own lives. And I think that's so important. Is there any sort of words of wisdom or closing messages that you would want to make sure our listeners remember as well as self-clear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. One last thought, I think, because it can be when we're feeling a bit low on compassion, whether it's to ourselves or even to someone else, yes. the trick that I found that helps me stay in that place is to imagine whoever it is, you or the other person at about age three, Oh. about age three. So picture age three, right? bright eyes, ready to smile, curious, striving, no ill intent, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's you. That's whoever you're looking at that might be irritating you. They were at once three years old and adorable. (laughs) So, I mean, I've looked at a lot of people and imagined them at three and, and, you know, that helps you remember most people are doing the best they can, you know, and you're doing the best you can. And everyone deserves a bit of care. So if you're feeling like it's hard to make time for yourself, imagine you're taking your three-year-old self through your day. No. Taking, they're coming on a ride with you and they're in your care, right? Uh, Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing way to look at it, actually. It's a powerful one to really dial up the self-love. 
the self-love and the empathy for other people. You know, as you said that a few people flashed through my mind in terms of what they were like when they were three. Um, right? Right. It, it kind of takes you back to that human connection and that universally everybody, when they were a baby or a toddler, you had no ill intent. You had no, you know, none of those things. So, and you had a lot of fun and play. Yeah. You, you found amusement and stuff and, and, yeah. and in simple things You're like, yeah. Oh, look at this caterpillar. Shall I eat it? No, like, no. <laughs> and if you did, it was like, whoopsies, guess I learned that, but I had fun while I was doing it. Right. You know? right? <laughs> so. We're following our intrinsic motivation in, in those instincts. So if we yeah. can tap into that spirit and just treat it with love, that's, I love that. that would yeah. be my biggest wish uh, for people. Yeah. And so you said we all need to have a little bit of self-care. And I say, we need a little bit of self-care <laughs> <laughs> in our lives. And uh, we thank you tremendously for joining us today. Um, I know I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners did. And so many great takeaways for us. So thank you very much. Oh, my great pleasure. <laughs>